we can get them back in the room. Yeah. Father, in this moment, we open up our hearts and souls and we invite you to speak to us, stretch us, equip us, reveal Jesus to us afresh. And Lord, we pray that today as a church community of people that we would learn and grow in you and that this would be a moment that you shape us and that the way that we journey together from this moment will never be the same. So we ask, Holy Spirit, touch our eyes and ears that we would see and that we would hear what it is that you have to say to us today through your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Picking up from where we left off last week, so if you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians 5 and verse 17. And it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, or spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we approached these verses and we began to unpack the initial command within those uh, sentences of don't get drunk on wine. And I should add, just for clarity, this command also applies to gin and to beer. I, I don't want anyone going, I'm a purist, I'm a word only kind of person and the word only says don't get drunk on wine. So everyone else is fair game. Uh, but, because it's not the case, just to clarify. Um, but we focused on that and we, we spoke about why that was the case and where that led to. And, and we went into the message translation which says don't get drunk on wine because it cheapens life. But instead what we spent the remainder of our time doing is really focusing on the other command that followed that that was actually offered as an alternative. Don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we spent some time talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and our main point really was that the movement of the Spirit in our lives should lead to moments of worship. In fact, it should lead to an entire lifestyle of worship, because the job of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is to testify to Christ within us. As he speaks to the disciples, John 14, John 15, John 16, he says to them, he will testify about me. So he brings this inner testimony, but also we're told in Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit's job is to bring this inward testimony of Jesus, but also to empower us to bring an outward testimony of Jesus. He brings this inward expression and this outward expression of Christ. And so we concluded our time last week with the thought, okay, if the movement of the Spirit in my life brings an inward and an outward testimony of Jesus. And the movement of the Spirit in your life brings an inward and an outward testimony of Jesus. Then what would happen if every time we came together, we invited the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh and to become the compass for our worship moments together? What would it look like if we set at the very foundation of our approach to worship? a standard, a practice, a willingness of being filled with the Holy Spirit and allowing His ministry and His movement to cultivate the very shape and the very definition of our worship. If as we were filled, my inward expression and outward expression of Christ meets with your inward expression and outward expression of Christ, what would that look like? Well, we said it would probably look like speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, 
And spiritual songs are songs from the Spirit, singing and making music from our hearts, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we zoom in on these verses this week, we instantly focus on the statement that we have to speak to one another. Now again, the one another component of this suggests that what has been outlined here as worship is not that which is to be done in isolation. It's not that which is to be done in an individual space. It is that which is to be done in our one another moments. It's to be done in our together moments. What we're reading in these verses is the blueprint for when we come together in community and we're told that what is to take place within that is psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and giving thanks and making music and singing. But as we begin to follow through and to look at those things, the first thing that we see is that we have to speak to one another. So that suggests that when we come together, I speak to you and you speak to me. And me speaking to you and you speaking to me is what we would call having a conversation. So this passage here suggests that our together moments should involve a conversation. What is outlined here is the conversation of a congregation. It's the dialogue of a community. And this is to flow out of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled, the Scripture says, with the Spirit. And speak to one another. The, the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives leads to a conversation. And here's the big thing. You, you can't converse on your own. If you're cutting about having a conversation with yourself, you might end up being encouraged to get some medical help. And you can't have a conversation on your own. You can't dialogue in isolation. You have to converse in community. And the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the ministry that He brings, well, we're told here that it's to find its expression within community, it's to find its outworking in our together moments, it's to find its, its landing in the community of God's people. And it's really interesting that when you go through the book of Acts, most, if not all, recorded experiences of someone being filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, most, if not all of those, take place within community, i.e. they're not on their own. They were all together in the upper room, Acts 2 says, when suddenly the Holy Spirit fell and all of them together were filled with the Holy Spirit. The sovereign outpouring of God's Spirit took place in a together moment. It's almost as though here's the mandate for how this is going to be. And it's interesting that the Scripture tells us that there were 500 people gathered on the mountain. 500 people were together and present when Jesus ascended into heaven and to whom He gave the, the, the command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. 500 people heard that promise. But yet in Acts chapter 2, there's only 120 gathered in that upper room. And there's nothing to suggest anywhere in Scripture that the other 380 were filled at the same time as those in the upper room gathering. We don't read stories of suddenly, as the Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, suddenly people all over the city or all over the nation just suddenly had individual experiences. No, the supernatural, powerful, significant experience of the Holy Spirit took place amongst those who were gathered in the community of God's people. 
There's every chance that the other 380 could have been in the crowd that Peter preached to and that the disciples poured out to in the square. We don't know. But when we press through the pages of Scripture, the rule of the upper room continues to be enforced thereafter. People begin to put their faith and trust in Jesus, and subsequently they become filled with the Holy Spirit. But this infilling and this ministry of the Holy Spirit took place as they sat under the preaching of an apostle, or or as someone laid hands on them, or, or when the Holy Spirit fell amongst a group of people that were seeking Him and pressing into Him. We don't really read of any isolated infillings of the Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, but we don't really read of that much in the Scripture which really proves our point that the movement and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to find its expression within community. And the it there is attached to the movement and the ministry. The Holy Spirit is a, is a person, but it is His movement and ministry that finds its expression in community. See, no one is filled to be a container of the Holy Spirit. We are to manifest his presence within community, both within the community of the church, but also within the community around us. Acts 1 verse 8 says, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to testify, to witness, to express Jesus Christ to those that don't know him yet. However, in 1 Corinthians 12, we're also told about the manifestation of the Spirit. And it says to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. So individually, everyone has this experience of the Spirit, but here comes its outworking. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There's an individual manifestation, but it's outworked within community. And it's talking here about our spiritual gifts, and our, our gifts are to strengthen, they are to encourage, they are to build up the community of God's people. We are to manifest the Spirit to each other within our together moment. And this is echoed in this passage in Ephesians. Filled with the Spirit, we are to begin to speak to one another. We are to manifest the Spirit to each other. We are not filled to be containers of the Holy Spirit. John 7, 37, Jesus says, from within you will flow rivers of living water. He didn't say, into you will flow rivers of living water. But he says, from within you, we are not to be containers of the Holy Spirit. We are to be rivers of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to bring an inward testimony of Jesus, but also an outward manifestation, this testimony, this expression that communicates the reality of Christ to those around us that don't know Him yet, but also to those who do. Because the Holy Spirit is to be manifest in our lifestyles and personal evangelism, as well as in our ministry to each other through our spiritual gifts and He's also to be manifest and expressed in our worship. Because filled with the Holy Spirit, we're told, we are to speak to one another. This movement, this ministry of the Spirit leads to a conversation, it leads to a dialogue, and the dialogue is this. It's psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, or spiritual songs. And this is interesting because what is listed as that which we are to speak to one another with, well, they are expressions that are normally sung. What is listed as the dimensions of our conversation, in fact, I go further than say that they're not just listed, they're instructed. 
as what is to be the dimensions of dialogue as a congregation and a community, that which is listed as what we would understand to be the dimensions of worship, which helps to bring a whole new perspective on worship, particularly that which is fueled by the Holy Spirit. Here's the big headline. Worship is not linear. It's circular. Worship is a conversation. In our minds, we often think that worship is this moment where we come and we stand and we sing and we lift our heads to the roof because that directs it to him and, and, and we sing to him and it's a linear thing from us to him, one way. But actually, according to Ephesians, worship isn't linear, it's circular. Worship is a conversation. Worship is an expression of the Holy Spirit and it involves us speaking man to man, forgive the masculine term, person to person, human to human, because apparently filled with the Spirit, we are to speak to one another. So there's a dimension of this that involves communication, expression, man to man. There's also a dimension that involves us speaking man to God because we are to give thanks to God for everything, everything. We have to direct it to Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then there comes this other dynamic in which we see that worship involves this expression that comes from God to man because we have to sing songs from the Spirit. These songs don't originate with us, they originate with Him. And they come through us and to us. He sings over us, the Scripture tells us. And so what we begin to see then in this moment is that worship is not a linear thing, it's a circular thing, it's a conversation that involves us speaking man to man, it involves us speaking man to God, and it involves God speaking to man. And our times of worship, our, our together times, are not just this filling a space of time with musical expression. And believe it or not, we don't have this mindset where we're just going to eke it out for as long as we can just to fill the space. Within these moments, there is a conversation taking place, a hugely spiritual dialogue in which we should speak one to the other, we should focus our adoration upon God, and we should receive the love and the song that He sings over us. And these dimensions are seen in the different expressions, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, when you read that sentence, it, for us English-speaking people or, or, or for us Western people, it all means the same thing. If you were to say, what is a psalm, what is a hymn, what is a spiritual song, the answer would be worship. But for the New Testament church, these would have carried meaning. So let's look at them one at a time. Psalms. The term book of Psalms is translated in the Hebrew as book of praises. In fact, the very definition of a psalm was that which was meant to be accompanied by a stringed instrument and therefore was described as that which strikes a chord or that which struck a chord. And that actually is quite helpful in our understanding. Because when we read the psalms, we, we read a collection of poems, a collection of poems that cover a variety, a wide variety of expressions from praise to thanksgiving to prayer to lament to even complaint and moaning. And the Psalms, by and large, are very personal. They are words that express the heart and the feelings. They flow out of or communicate personal story and a sense of journey or what an individual or what a group of individuals have been through. And therefore, when we begin to read them, they do strike a chord with us. 
Because the Psalms take personal experience. They take personal feeling. They take individual journey and they turn them into the worship of God. And this teaches us that our journeys should influence our worship. We are not to stand in a form of disconnect from what we're singing. Just standing, just singing words that are on a screen because that's the words that are on the screen, but yet totally disconnected with what's going on in our hearts and what's going on in our minds and what's going on in our worlds. We often get this whole concept that worship is this moment where we choose to worship. So it doesn't matter what you feel, you make the choice to worship. And the problem with that rhetoric is that while in a sense it's true, what it causes us to do is to come into his presence, put a mask on, pretend that everything's rosy and just sing. And it's just singing. Whereas in worship, we are to bring our current feelings, our current moods, our journeys, our experiences, our ups and our downs, our twists and our turns, and let them vent in his presence. Let them breathe in the worship of God. Bringing our sadness and our anger, bringing our joy and our celebration, and allowing those emotions out and to be channeled into worship. And that might mean that at times we are emotional when we're worshiping. It might mean that at times we're kind of expressing our anger. Although I have to say, if you start like slamming chairs off the floor and kicking stuff, we, we might have a problem with that. But, but, but the point is we need to allow the emotions that we're carrying to be channeled into our worship. Because do you know what? He already knows what's going on inside of there. So why do we put the mask on and just pretend that everything's rosy with the jazz hands out, ready to go, when in fact we're carrying pain and hurt or we're bursting with joy and celebration? We need to bring all of that into our worship. And when we do, this is the moment when, in a sense, man speaks to man or, or one speaks to the other. It's not that we should worship one another. That should never happen. God is always the object and the focus of worship. But rather... When we worship him in our good times and in our bad times, when we express our experience and our testimony of Jesus at each stage of the journey, this is when we begin to speak one to the other. We begin to worship out our story of God. We begin to share our current testimony of Jesus, the testimony that flows from the ministry of the Spirit within. And our worship expressions then become not these predetermined songs that are universally chanted and sung, but rather they have a personal dimension to them in that we worship out of our story of God and we worship out of our testimony of him and we worship out of his work and we worship out of our experience of who he is and what he does. And there has to be moments then in our worship that calls out the dimensions of God's work within our current journey. And this is important. It is important that this dimension of the conversation takes place within community. In Western culture, we're all very, you know, you hide your heart under your jacket and you don't let anyone see and you don't, you don't own what you're feeling. It's all very private. And there can be that feeling then that those moments where we come and we express the anger that we feel or we express the sadness or the grief or we express the joy and the celebration. Those are for the private moments because when we come together, we're proper and conservative and all together. But actually, it's important that this dynamic takes place within community. Because your expression of God lifting you out of your circumstance could just be the catalyst that someone needs for their worship experience. 
As they stand round about you, in front of you, beside you, either side of you, across the room, as they hear you celebrating that God has lifted you out of your circumstance and set your feet upon a rock, it could help them to understand as they feel that they're drowning, that they can put their faith in Him and He will lift them out too. Your worship could just be what someone else needs to hear to sustain them and to maintain their own worship song and their current season or even to be confirmation of what God is doing or an explanation of what it is that God might be doing. When we take our experience and we allow that to be vented and, and to express itself in our songs, not just the songs that appear on the screen, but those moments where we lift our voice and we sing out of what He's done and, and where He is and what He's doing and what He's going through and what, what we are facing and how He's helping us. That could be the catalyst that just helps someone else. Could release faith. Or it could be the kick up the backside. I got a kick up the backside the other week. When I stood on this platform and watched a woman who'd lost her husband and the father of her two young boys just weeks ago. And she stood in this place and worshipped him. I thought, who am I to stay silent? Who am I to moan and complain. There's times in which our dialogue one to the other is so important. It's important that we don't just stand up and repeat subscribe lyrics, but we worship out of our journeys and we express our seasons and we rejoice with each other and we weep with one another. And there has to be moments in which we celebrate with each other what God has done and not just celebrate our own story, but the story of our wider family. I am proud to unashamedly announce that I love my wife. I love my wee missus with every ounce of my being. She does incredible work. She's a midwife. She is a screening midwife at the hospital where she works, which means that whenever a scan or a test shows an abnormality in pregnancy, that person is referred to Susan. And Susan's job, the word midwife means with women. Susan's job is to journey with those women to love upon them at their most vulnerable moment, to care for them, to counsel them, to support them, going through utter crisis and devastation. Some of them in moments where they feel that their whole dreams and hopes have just been shattered. And there comes my wee missus to love and to care and to support and alongside that, not just in those difficult moments, but then when they have subsequent pregnancy, she gets to share with them as that heart and pain is turned into joy and, uh, and celebration. And when I hear the stories of what she does, and I can't hear many because she can't tell me, but when I read the many cards that come home and open up these cards that are covered in epitaphs that speak about care and speak about comfort and contain the phrases, I could not have done this without you. i got to tell you, when I read that stuff, I am so proud of her. And I want to celebrate her and I want to brag on her and brag on the amazing things that she does. And I regularly do. And I love my kids and I love the characters of my kids. I love my daughter, Abby, and, and the way that she nurtures others and cares for others with every ounce and fiber of her being. She's like the flipping Pied Piper. Everywhere we go, there's children and, and, and she loves to love upon kids and children. And, and I love the fact that she faces personal private battles that many don't know about. And she faces personal private battles over things that many of us would think nothing of. But she challenges herself to push through those things and she battles against them 
come to make herself the best that she can be and to achieve all that she can. I'm proud of my son, Kerr, who is a guy with an incredible humor. It's dripping with sarcasm, but it is incredible humor. And, and he has a humongous brain. And he has phenomenal musical ability that is like just second nature to him. And, and he's pushing himself in his sporting opportunities. And he's comfortable in his own skin. And he, he has no desire to fit into any mold except the one that he's creating for himself with absolute comedy genius. I, I want to brag on my kids. I want to celebrate their stories. But you know what? See, when my family are struggling... I want to speak about that too. And I want to call out what it is they're going through. And I want to brag and, and, and talk about my, how proud I am and the way that they persevere through that difficult stuff. And the way that they carry on and the way that they carry on with what they're carrying because their journey is my journey. Both the good and the bad. Their story is my story too. So I want to celebrate the good and the bad stuff. I want to talk out the good stuff and the bad stuff because what they're going through is what I'm going through. Their journey is my journey. Their story is my story because they are my family. Church, we're a family. Whether we like it or not, we're a family. We've been grafted in. We've been drafted in. We are adopted in the family of God through Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters. So that means that we need to learn to celebrate not just our own stories, but each other's stories. Because each other's stories is that which belongs to this family. Your testimony of God, both the good and the bad and the ugly, it's not just your story, it's this family's story. Your God's story, of your testimony of what it is that God is doing it is part of the story of what God is doing in our community because you are part of our community. Therefore, that story, it's, it's ours as well. And we need to learn to worship out our journeys and worship together in these moments to celebrate when things are great and to hold each other up when things aren't. To sing out a song of worship for those that maybe struggle to find their voice in their current season. Maybe it's just me, but I, there's times that I come through the door on a Sunday morning and I'm like, God, I have nothing. Like, stuff I'm facing, stuff I'm, I just, I have nothing. I'm sore, I'm hurting, I'm in a bad mood. I have nothing to give right now. But there's just something that happens when we come into an environment like this. And everyone, brothers and sisters, begin to lift their voice. And we all begin to worship and we begin to press into God and celebrate. And you just feel your spirit beginning to lift. And you feel ministry beginning to come. And you feel the song beginning to come out. We need to learn to sing for each other when we can't sing ourselves. We need to speak to one another with our own personal psalms. The ministry of the Spirit results in this inward and outward testimony that finds its expression in our together times. And part of that expression, and therefore the worship that we share, has to be this personal soul telling its story within the moment of worship, calling out its experience of God. And that means that we have to allow the experience to shape our expression. That when we sing the lyrics of a song that resonates with where we are at, that we allow the soul to connect with that moment and to almost feel that moment. 
We were like, yeah, right now, I can see how he is making a way for me. So do you know what? Yes, you are my way maker. Or right now, what I really need is you to light up my darkness that I'm facing right now, to bring some light and direction. So I'm going to just really proclaim that right now, that that's who you are and it's what you do. Yes, right now, I'm holding on to a promise or I have seen you keep that promise. So I will declare that you are my promise keeper. We need to allow our soul to connect with what we're singing and to fuel what we're singing. But as well as that, we need to let our own songs to be heard, and that means letting the voice not just sing the words on a screen, but letting it express its own words and its own song that reflects its current testimony of Jesus. We need to learn to sing out our personal psalms to God and honor and celebrate each other's psalms and expressions. But as well as that, we also need to sing hymns. Now, before we start getting notions of bringing back the Red Redemption hymnal and the Yellow Apparel chorus books, let's be clear, no, James, let's be clear on how a hymn is defined. The Greek word for hymn actually denotes a poem in praise of a god or a hero. In Matthew 26, we read that Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn together after the Last Supper and before Gethsemane. In Acts, in the jail at Philippi, Paul and Silas are recorded as singing hymns when God supernaturally busts them out of prison. And when we look at that which is considered as hymns in the Old and in the New Testament, we see that there always tends to be a corporate element to the expression of these. That is that hymns are songs sung in community by a group of people. So again, we see that theme continue. And when we begin to look at that which is considered hymns, even just in the New Testament, places like Colossians 1 that says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were made both invisible and visible. Or when we think in Philippians 2, which is a hymn, that says our nature should be like that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took the nature of a servant and became human, took on human likeness and humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Or Ephesians 3, where it says, I kneel before the Father from whom all families in heaven derive their name. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. When we look at these these scriptures that actually slip into hymns are understood to be hymns. What we notice is that they are declarations of belief. They are the songs in which the knowledge of God has shaped the worship of God. Psalms are when the experience shapes worship where we sing out where we've been and what we're going through and what we've seen him do. But this is a moment in which with hymns, it's about the knowledge of God shaping our worship of Him. And that's all linked to the movement of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, and from that will come psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit communicating Christ results, results in this outward testimony that's not just a personal story or experience, but it involves the declaration and the confidence of who we believe God is and what we know God does. In other words, these songs are songs in which we begin to sing our own poems of praise to our God and begin to call out 
that he is our hero. Call out why he is God, what makes him God, what he does as God, and therefore what makes him hero. And it's important that our together times include songs and expressions that declare Jesus. Yes, there's that place for us speaking one to the other in which we call out what we've been through and what God has done. And, and that brings with it an understanding of God. And, and this is what we've seen him do. And this is what I was going through. And this is how he brought me through. But then we come to that moment where our hymns are just, this is just who he is. This is just what he does. These songs are not about our season or our crisis or our mountaintop or our breakthrough. They are just about him and who he is. And who he is is this. He changes not and his compassions, they fail not. So these expressions of worship are about the unchanging truth of God that we cling to regardless of the season, regardless of the journey. We are called to declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And there has to be those moments when we allow the Holy Spirit to testify about Jesus within us and through us and to call out the wonder of the God that we belong to. Because the Father is looking for those that worship in spirit and in truth. So these are the moments where we bring our truth. Where we say, this is our truth. This is what we believe about him. This is who we know him to be. We need to sing our hymns. And hymns aren't songs with a 4-4 rhythm. Or those that are considered old and traditional. Our hymns are our declarations of God. That part in the worship conversation when we adore him and magnify him and focus upon him and his attributes and his integrity. These moments where we come together and we make his praise glorious. We're called to sing psalms, we're called to sing hymns and then there comes the spiritual songs or the songs from the spirit and we're moving into land. The Greek word here is pneumatikos Ude. Now, pneuma means spirit, and ude is spelled O-D-E, and it's the word from which we get ode from, just in case you were thinking of an oversized jumper with a hood. It's a, it was a really bad joke. It's a, the word from which we get ode from. So what we have to express here is an ode from the spirit. Now, what is an ode? I'm glad you've asked. An ode typically was a poem set to music. And in ancient times, it was the minstrels that sang the odes, often composing them as they went along. The king would say, sing me a song, and they would just begin to sing an ode, just composing it right there and then. They would arrive in a town, and based on what was going on, they would begin to sing their ode. Based on what was happening, they would begin to compose a song and sing an ode. And this helps us to understand this part of the worship conversation. The ode that we sing comes from the Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit inspires and composes the expression. It goes beyond a prescribed song. It goes beyond a well-known familiar song. It's something that is entirely new and comes out of the moment and is reflecting what is going on within that moment. And this phrase, pneumaticus ude, is linked to worship, and in fact, it's linked to the expression that comes as part of the spiritual gifts. In other words, it's when the Holy Spirit begins to inspire and compose songs in the souls and the hearts and the spirits of God's children. These are the moments of singing in the Spirit, if you want to use that phrase. When we allow the Holy Spirit to guide our singing, either in our earthly language or in our spiritual language. 
Now, when we make room for that and we make room for people to sing in their earthly language or in their spiritual language, brackets, sing in tongues, close brackets, we often get the question, is that biblical that everyone just sings in tongues? And Paul, in a sense, answers this in 1 Corinthians 14. He talks about the use of tongues in the church. He mentions the spiritual gift of tongues, which is when a message is given, and that should always be interpreted. And you'll notice that when God is bringing a message in tongues, He always makes room for it. And that's a moment when the message that comes in tongues holds the attention of the room or holds the, the spotlight for that moment. But Paul then begins to talk about tongues in relation to worship, and he says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, so what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Now, my reading of this is that Paul encourages moments when we're led by the Spirit, and our worship takes place both with our earthly languages and with our spiritual language. I worship with my spirit. I allow the Holy Spirit to worship through me. But as well as that, I worship with my mind. I worship with the language that I understand. And Paul says both take place. These are the moments when we allow the Holy Spirit's expression to to express itself, to find its, its outward manifestation out with the boundary of a song. And of course, there can be moments when in prayer or in worship, a message comes through the Spirit to us. And in these moments, when we allow God the Spirit to lead our expression, to speak to us, we see elements of the worship conversation where God begins to sing over us and through us and even begins to speak to us. So we see from these dimensions, these different expressions, the way that worship isn't linear, it's circular. Those these moments where we sing out our personal psalms and we sing out our stories and our testimonies and we allow that to fuel what we worship and the way that we worship and in doing so we speak to one another and we encourage one another and we build one another up and we celebrate each other's stories and and we weep together and, and we rejoice together. But then there comes that dimension in which we begin to sing our hymns to him and we begin to just declare who he is and everything that makes him God and we make his praise as glorious as we can and we focus upon him. But then there comes this dimension in which songs come from the Spirit to us. They don't originate with us, they originate with him. They are his expression coming through us. It's heaven connecting with the earth. And and what we see then in this moment is this circular conversational experience. But as we wind all of this up, the big thing that we have to focus on in all of this, the most important thing in the whole phrase is this. Filled with the Spirit, we are to sing and make music from our hearts to the Lord. Worship is about the heart. It's not about the sound. It's not about the song. It's about the heart, which is why it's important that even though the heart is carrying pain, we come and we express it because it's about the heart being free. It's not about tunefulness. It's not about the rhythm of the, or the volume or the style. It's not about the eloquence of the words or, or the rhyme of delivery. It's all about the heart expressing itself to God. Worship originates in the heart and not from the mouth and even less so from a worship team. It's when the heart comes into the presence of God and expresses itself. 
Jesus taught us is out the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if worship involves vocal expression, then its starting point is a bit further south. It's the heart. The psalmist told us, my heart overflows with a good theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue becomes the pen of a skillful writer. The songs that the tongue begin to write originates from the overflow of the heart. True worship takes place when the heart is set free to express itself before God. It's all about the heart. Why is it all about the heart? Because actually it's about the Holy Spirit within us. It's all about the movement of the Holy Spirit with our spirits and we come full circle when we dip our hearts in the stream of life, when we submerge the heart and the soul and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that's when worship begins to flow. That's when we get caught up in this cycle of worship, this dialogue, this conversation, when we come from isolation into community and we allow the movement of the Holy Spirit to fuel our expression. Our worship then is not linear. Our worship becomes this dialogue with heaven itself. We're called to step into a worship conversation where we celebrate and worship out our journeys, where we focus upon and declare the greatness of God and where God himself sings over us and through his spirit sings through us. Is there more of a spiritual experience than that? Is there anything more heavenly and pure than that? And to come and step into the dialogue of heaven where we build each other up, where we focus on edifying him, where he sings over us. Is there a more spiritual experience? Is there a greater privilege this side of eternity than to surrender the heart to the Holy Spirit and let him direct its expression? Well, let's step into the worship conversation together and let's see.